The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Hey Rockheads, quit blowing out your noisemaker and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan announcing show number 512 with guests George Huey and Wade Wegner, recorded live Tuesday, December 15th, 2009. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. And now, offering SharePoint 2007 video training with Sahil Malik on DVD, DNR TV style. Order your copy now at www.franklins.net. Support is also provided by Telerik, combining the best in Windows forms and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com. And by Grape City Data Dynamics, makers of ActiveReports.net. Simple, powerful, and cost-effective reporting for Windows Forms and ASP.NET Web applications. Online at www.datadynamics.com. And now, the man who'd like to wish everyone a safe and happy new year, Carl Franklin. Thank you very much, and welcome back to .NET Rocks. Carl and Richard here for you. Hey, Richard. Howdy, sir. How you doing? Well, you know, I'm I'm feeling a little old today. The barbecue king of the north feels old. Oh uh, yeah, I well, uh, we had a little party last night. My oldest daughter just finished her first semester of college, mm. read all her final exams, and so did all her friends. So they were over and having a few drinks, and you know, there's a moment when you think, "Wow, I remember back that far." <laughs> So a little life comes crashing down on the Richard Meister. Today. I'm not upset about it, actually. I, I I just literally 15 minutes before we were going to record today, I raced. I was cooking them all breakfast, corned beef, hash, and eggs. An hour before uh, we recorded the show, I was installing Windows 7 and trying to get the audio drivers for the Motu devices up here so we could record the show. Nice. Yeah. You had a big hard drive meltdown? A little hard drive meltdown, but it was big enough. Big enough? Big enough. Well, I was here for you, man. I would have backed you up. I know, yeah. That's why we have redundancy built in. We have redundancy. Hey, let's get into Better Know Framework right away. So as you know, we're uh, shining a little light on a dark and dingy corner of the .NET 4.0 framework today. The big integer structure. What? integer. All right. This is bigger than an int64? It's an immutable type that represents an arbitrarily large integer whose value, in theory, has no upper or lower bounds. Okay, big number. We're messing with numbers now. <laughs> the members of the big integer type closely parallel those of other integral types, the byte, int16, int32, int64, sbyte, and unsigned versions. 
This type differs from the other integral types, which have a range indicated by their min value and max value properties. Ah. Because the big integer type is immutable, because it has no upper or lower bounds, an out-of-memory exception can be thrown for any operation that causes a big integer value to grow too large. I'm trying to think about how big a number has to be to run out of memory at, like, 4 gigs. I don't know, the number of square feet between here and the moon? Yeah, no, I think that's big enough, man. I think you need to think bigger. Yeah, between here and Pluto? I mean, you're down talking about numbers so big, it's like the number of atoms in the universe big. Oh, yeah. Googleplex. Yeah, big numbers. Big numbers. So, Richard, who's yakking at us now? I, I got a quick email, but I put a smile on my face, which I always like, and it's from our friend Venkat. Now, which Venkat? Because we know a few. This is Venkat Vishwak, who's actually in Chennai, India, but he's also a regional director. And he made it out to the PDC. Yeah, he did make it out to the PDC. And at the PDC, you were handing out the Is Software Too Complex CDs. Right. In other words, we put that show, the, the Software Complexity Panel from DevLink on a CD and passed it out because we thought that was good stuff to listen to on the ride home. Well, yeah, and 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 I interesting idea to just create an. This is totally my friend Carl's idea here to take one show and to make a regular audio CD so that you can hand it to pretty much anyone. Yeah, and then the show we chose was show number four seventy six, which is the uh, panel discussion we did at DevLink on is software development too complex, which was really a fun show to make. Yeah, we had we had a lot of great comments on that show. Um, some good, some not so good, but sure. it really, everybody's got an opinion. So and what Venkat uh, said here was, Dear Richard and Carl, thanks for giving me a copy of the Is Software Too Complex CD during the PDC Side Summit. I listened to it fully and thoroughly enjoyed it. In fact, this CD has been playing in my car for the whole of last week over and over. Wow. Wow. Please continue the great work. Regards from Venkat. Thanks, Venkat. And I guess we're sending a mug to uh, India, because that's the rules. If we read your email, we send you a mug, and you can get a mug, too. Send us an email, comments, questions, concerns, ideas from show, anything at all. We'll fire you a, a mug. Just send us an email at rocks at franklins.net. And how many? we still have those, some of those CDs left, right? Yeah, we do. We have a box left over. We, uh, we originally made up like 2,500 of them to give away at Dev Connections. Right. Yeah, so we got a few left over. So if you've got a, a meeting or, you know, we don't want to send these out one at a time. And let's face it, if you're listening to this, you can go download the show. Right. But if you want to, if you're going to some place where people don't listen to .NET Rocks, we'd always like to get new listeners. So send us an email, .NET Rocks at franklins.net. We'll send you a bundle of these CDs. That's it. And Richard, our guests today are George Huey and Wade Wegner. George is a principal architect for the developer and platform evangelism group at Microsoft. George works with companies to help them understand new and emerging technologies and how these technologies can be applied to solve their business problems. George is also the author of the SQL Azure Migration Wizard, SQL Azure MW. Uh, Wade Wegner is an architect in the Developer and Platform Evangelism Division at Microsoft, tasked to collaborate with organizations in the advanced and emergent areas of Enterprise Architecture, SOA, Web 2.0, and Cloud Computing, as well as to support decision-makers on defining technology adoption strategies. Drawing on his deep background in IT consulting, Wade enjoys helping customers create value from using objective and pragmatic approaches to define IT strategies and solution architectures. Welcome, guys. Thank you. Thank you very much. 
Today we're talking about migrating to SQL Azure. Which, especially coming from SQL Server, I didn't think this was that much of a challenge, but it apparently is not that simple. Well, it depends if you use a SQL Azure migration wizard or not. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Good answer. Good plot. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, um, I haven't migrated any databases to Azure lately, but uh, I just t- today I've been working with migrating a database from uh, SQL Server 2005 into a virtual machine running SQL 2008. And it's just not as easy as you might think. I mean, the security for one is uh, is something that you have to consider. All the all the logins and users and all of that stuff. Yeah, that's, that's very true. Especially if you're um, looking at going from a local SQL Server to uh, SQL Azure, uh, because a lot of people who have the uh, Windows Auth set up to where that you're basically using your NT credentials to uh, uh, do a trusted connection does not work up against SQL Azure. So you would have right. to modify your connection strengths and stuff to reflect a username password. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, and I, I can't imagine that's going to be a, a big problem. But um, does the migration wizard address any of that stuff? Any of the security issues? Can you bring accounts over somehow? Today, the uh, the, the, the migration wizard does not look at user account. So if if it finds that you're using a domain account, there's really nothing that it can do with it. So it doesn't bother with security. So at the end of your migration process, you would have to address the security on how you're going to change your connection strings or what you're going to do then as far as uh, uh, authenticating people up against the um, SQL Azure. And one thing to note there too is that uh, SQL Azure today only supports SQL logins. So you wouldn't be able to use something like a trusted account from Active Directory. Uh, one of the things that they are looking to support in the future, though, are forms of credentials around um, the common, you know, things like claims-based identity, passive federation, and so forth. But today it is just SQL login specifically. So the migration wizard gives you what? Does it? I mean, I imagine it moves the data, but uh, what else? What other parts does it move? Does it move transaction logs? Do we have transactions logs in uh, in at SQL Azure? All right. So your transaction logs and stuff, uh, if you have any, are not moved. What the SQL Azure Migration Wizard moves is it uh, takes your schema. So, for example, your uh, tables, uh, user-defined types, user-defined functions, store procedures. Um, currently, the schema collections... Uh, the uh, the wizard sees it, but but um, SQL Azure today does not support schema collections, and so therefore those will not be migrated when when you go through the migration process. What the uh, SQL Azure migration wizard does is it identifies things like schema collections, hierarchy ID, file streams, uh, partitioning mm. that uh, you might have in your SQL Server on premise database and tell you that those are not supported by SQL Azure. At that point in time, uh, it's going to be up to you to go in and refactor your application or wait until SQL Azure supports those specific features. Um, As far as logging and other kind of stuff goes, um, there is nothing that you really do uh, when uh, when it comes to um, migrating up to SQL Azure. 
what SQL Azure does as far as, uh, I mean, you can start uh, transactions and you commit transactions, but there's some gotchas that you need to, work, uh, to, to look at, and that is if you start a transaction and it goes for more than like a five-minute time frame, SQL Azure is going to basically break your connection and say, sorry, you're eating up too much resources. Hmm. So there's a throttle on what you can do because, uh, again, once again, um, if, if somebody opens up a transaction that lasts you know, multiple hours, that does 100 you know, a gigabytes worth of updates, um, then you're going to be up, uh, uh, eating resources, holding resources, hmm. and um, SQL Azure is not going to allow you to do that. Interesting. Yeah, I guess the big challenge here is just coping with the differences between SQL Server and SQL Azure. We, we, we yeah. want to think they're the same, right. but they're really not. Right. Hmm. Um, and, and, and actually, if you look at uh, um, SQL Azure, it's built on SQL Server 2008, but yet what they've done is they have uh, limited some of the commands that go up there. Uh, so things... So some of the new features, like again, like hierarchy ID, file stream, uh, the uh, geospatial type of uh, commands are not supported up there currently. Also, say for example, uh, you want to have multiple database or you have multi-part names. So I can inside of a store procedure set, when I can look at this database dot owner dot table, oh. and then I want to join to this database dot owner table. Uh, SQL Azure does not support the multi-part names uh, currently. So um, if you have a scenario where you have multiple databases and you're doing single joins between them, that's not going to work in today's environment. Mm -hmm. And that's something, I mean, that's been true for quite a while, even back as far as like SQL 7, we were able to do these queries between databases. It it wasn't always the fastest thing, but it was certainly capable. So right. it, it's an interesting limitation. You have to now do the aggregations a different way. Yeah. Do you hear a lot of complaints about that? Um, I would... I have not heard that many now. The SQL Azure group themselves might have heard yeah. some. I think part of the reason is because what you have is it's a multi-tenant um, server. So I have multiple customers with multiple databases that could be on the same instance. And so what they've done, at least temporarily, is they stopped you from doing things like use database. Um, that doesn't work, at least in this current version. And they're trying to people, you know, keep people isolated so that they're not or they don't have the capability to get sense to uh, somebody else's database. So they've kind of um, shut those features off temporarily until they can get a better uh, boundary set up. And so are you actually able to go in and read into the database and see that they're doing this and say, yeah, we can't migrate this? I mean, especially in the case of joining, that might be buried in the code. Right, exactly. So the SQL Azure Migration Wizard actually, um, the way it works is that there's a rules file or a file called uh, not supported by Azure um, config, and it has like 1,200 different regex um, search criteria set up. And so then what the tool does is it goes in and it iterates through all the objects, stored procedures, tables, views, um, user-defined types, um, and it generates these SQLs that would be used to create those up in a database. And at that point in time, it then goes through the 1,200-something rules, and it checks to see is, is there multi-part names being used? Is hierarchy ID being used? Um, it looks 
for all those different uh, issues. Now, what else the, the program does is you can tell it if you find this specific string combination in there, uh, get rid of it or change it out to something else. And so, therefore, you can use the tool not only to analyze your system, but you can actually start using it to do partial migration of some stuff. So, if it's a real straightforward, you know, clean and cut, uh, get rid of this and put this in its place, um, then it'll take you at least down that ways uh, pretty easily. And if I may, George, just uh, interject real quick. Um, you know, when back, what was it, maybe three, four months ago when you first started building this tool? Has it been that long now? Yeah, I think so. Um, one of the reasons George started building it is, you know, we were actually tasked to work with customers on the adoption of, of newer technology, and um, we were working with some customers that were migrating databases into SQL Azure. Mm. And at the time, the only way to do it was actually by scripting these database objects out and then by hand walking through the T-SQL and making the changes required. So this is, you know, modifying you know, um, index padding, um, you know, removing set ANSI nulls, just all kinds of nasty stuff that we'd have to do to migrate and, or to change this T-SQL. And I can think of, in one particular case, I was working with some folks at the internal IT group at Accenture and migrating some databases that they're moving to the cloud. And this process took us hours. I mean, I think we spent a whole afternoon manually modifying this code. And George had been working on the tool, and this was one of the very early iterations and we, we attempted it, and this was a simple database, but what had taken us hours, I mean, like a whole afternoon, we're able to get done in just minutes using it simply because of wow. his ability to target via these regex expressions certain, you know, certain things within the T-SQL and have it automatically fixed for us. So it was very powerful. Wow, that's, that's great. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik, who bring you the new TFS Work Item Manager and TFS Project Dashboard. So if you're spending a lot of time on organizing the cluttered pile of work items in TFS, get ready for a fresh and intuitive experience. The guys at Telerik just launched the TFS Work Item Manager and Project Dashboard, a couple of free tools designed to make working with Team Foundation Server faster and easier. Unlike the standard TFS Explorer, the Work Item Manager lets you take advantage of powerful capabilities like filtering, as-you-type search, grouping and aggregation, and iteration scheduling. You can even see all the work items in a Scrum dashboard view, as if watching the whiteboard in your own room. Project Dashboard is a unique tool for visualizing TFS data. Useful for both developers and project managers, it helps you keep track of the latest TFS project activity, like current iteration progress, build history, recent check-ins, assigned tasks and bug history, and to understand the health of the project as a whole. The TFS tools are brought to you by Telerik and Imaginet, the experts in application lifecycle management. Built with RAD controls for WPF, they're both amazingly flexible and responsive. Go to Telerik.com and download the TFS tools for free. And hey, don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. What are these specific things like you're, you're talking about in the T-SQL that would need to be changed with a, with a regex statement? Okay, so, for, so uh, Wade's example where you had uh, padding set up on a table or up, up on the index, uh, padding was not supported. Not so supported. I was able to say, you know, on index, on tables, if I see, you know, padding, whatever, I could take that out. Uh, or if, if, if you specified that you want to have a specific uh, table on a specific partition, 
uh, you can't do that. It's not supported. And so, therefore, uh, the uh, on-petition part was invalid. So if I would search for that, find that, rip it off, and then you're just saying, I want to create this table, and you don't specify the partition, and then it works just fine up in Azure. So those kind of seek and replace kind of things that uh, you would normally do by hand, uh, the wizard does it for you. In other currencies, for example, a hierarchy ID is not that simple. You just can't replace a hierarchy ID with a string and expect things to work, yeah. right? So therefore, those kind of things get flagged saying hierarchy ID is not supported in SQL Azure. Right. Um, and then you got to take corrective actions from there. Right. And one, one thing probably worth pointing out, too, is um, up on MSDN, and uh, there's a, is an article on the Transact SQL references for SQL Azure. And the, the way it's described is that the SQL Azure T-SQL is, is a subset of Transact SQL for SQL Server. Mm. Um, and there's actually a great collection of, of uh, articles that really describe you know, what kind of statements are supported and what, what things aren't. And George mentioned that he's got these rules built into the tool. So, you know, he's got this tool posted up on CodePlex, so you can actually download the binary or the source. And actually, with the source code, you could leverage it yourself as well. So if you wanted to build a, a process or, you know, even extract these these rules out to leverage yourself, um, you'd be able to do so. So let's say that I've successfully migrated my on-premise database up into SQL Azure. What, um, what, do I have to do anything special in the code to make this work besides a connection string? Okay, right. So uh, besides a connection string, um, really what you need to look out for and what really caught me was when I wrote the uh, wizard, um, I would go through your database and it would work and say, oh, wow, this is really cool. But when I hit large databases where you're talking – um, you know, a thousand, two thousand, five thousand objects, uh, and then you end up spending more than five minutes uh, writing up data to um, SQL Azure, right? Because I was, you know, like 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 a hardcore spin, right? I was going through iterating objects, writing, and I was holding a connection. Right. And because I had originally thought, oh, great, when I hold a connection, and if it's idle for five minutes, they're going to disconnect it. Well, that's not true. It's, there's basically a five-minute kind of connection thing so that if you're in a hard loop and you're doing inserts and other kind of stuff up to Azure, at the end of five minutes, they're going to cut you off if you're holding that string. Wow. And so, therefore, oh, you've got to have your code smart enough to go that when they drop the connection on you, that you need to capture that. And it probably also behooves you to wait um, 10 to 15 seconds before you reestablish a connection sometimes mm -hmm. too because I they have a throttle set up and they average the number of bytes per second is being transferred and some other kind of stuff and so therefore the longer you wait between transactions the lower your um, average is going to be and thus you'll be able to you know connect back up again but if they find that the, the transaction rate is extremely high then they'll shut it down also to keep from losing a lot of resources. This is really just, you know, to stop, like, denial of service attacks on Azure, essentially. Yes, it is. But they capture you as well. So that, that's therefore you need to put the smarts into your code yeah. on how to recover. Well, and I, you know, what is migration except an assault on the database, right? It's a tremendous <laughs> amount of data. Absolutely. Is it better to slow the transaction rate down or just to bomb it as hard as you can for five minutes, then wait 30 seconds, then bomb it again? Yeah, so basically, um, 
what what I started doing into the code was I started um, um, bombing it pretty hard. But then after um, after a, a certain amount of commands, I would you know stop it for a few seconds so they catch up and then go again. Because something else you're going to find is that when you're doing an insert, it's going up to SQL Azure, and SQL Azure is taking that insert and putting it into three different machines. All right, so really what you're looking at is a single insert to three machines and a commit back to you. Whereas if you were going to your local on-premise database, it's a single insert. So it's kind of like a SQL mirroring where you've got two secondaries and a primary right. uh, at any given point in time. And so you're going to have a little bit of latency as far as doing inserts. And so if you've got it just slammed to the wall doing inserts and it's not going to be able to keep up, it's eventually going to come back and, and stop your connection as well. This brings up issues of what types of applications and what types of databases you know that are part of those applications should you be migrating? You know, um, should you be migrating the data for? Um, I can think of. I, I, I'm wondering, Richard, how like some a tool like N Hibernate or Entity Framework would work. Well, yeah, I, I know what you're getting at here, Carl. If you're hitting the tables with lots of data all the time. It's also a mentality of how you build your app, that there's lots of folks out there who still believe in this idea of my app starts running, it makes a connection to the database. Mm. You can run the app all day, and then you disconnect it from the database when you're done. Mm. And, and obviously, Azure doesn't want you to do that. It will not let you do that, yes. Mm. And, and so that's, you know, this idea that you... Connect to the database, get your data, disconnect from the database. You don't hold a connection ever. I mean, I imagine architecting from the beginning would be a lot different than architecting a database for for a local intranet use. Just in terms of, you know, you want to make sure that you're not pulling back lots of data and filtering it with uh, with link or something like that. Instead, you want to do your filtering in stored proc or... Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Because well, first off, you're going to be paying for the uh, for the bandwidth. And mm. what I always kind of figured here is that all the best practices that you've always talked about in mm. architecting a highly scalable application. Right now, you have to do it. Now you have to do it because if you don't, you're going to get charged for it. And <laughs> if you don't, you're as more likely going to die than is it's going to run. Mm. Well, and that appeals to me too. That now there's a price tag to right. poor coding practices. Absolutely. Very, very interesting. And not just that it breaks, but it actually costs you more. That a guy mm-hmm. who is disciplined on the quality of his queries and the duration of his connections and so forth actually costs the company less money. And yeah. then there are those applications that are just going to retrieve large data sets no matter what, just because of the nature of the of the beast. And I imagine those people would think twice before migrating to SQL Azure or any sort of cloud database. Mm-hmm. Well, the biggest question here is, are you actually hauling enough data that would take longer than five minutes? Because I got to right. think that the the select running that long, too, it's going to still cut it off. That's a lot of data, though. Yeah, you'd hope. Yeah. Um, I've been working with, you know, uploading data. And, for example, BCP, you know, you you can use BCP to upload data. Right. And I've taken tables that have had, like, 750,000, a million or more, or more records. And I find that... Um, if I'm lucky, I can get up about 500,000 records in a five-minute time frame before it times out on me. And so then what you have to do is your program's got to be smart enough to say, oh, I died on record 500,050 or whatever your commit le- uh, level is in there. Right. And then restart the BCP process at that record plus one and go up. 
So the SQL Azure Migration Wizard does all the chunking going up, and I'm currently working on how to chunk it coming out of the cloud. I don't have that code in, uh, in there yet, but I have uh, uh, played with some scenarios or some prototypes and actually been able to chunk coming out of, uh, of the cloud, in which case um, you, you bring out a couple hundred thousand records and then you wait for 15 seconds, you right. bring out the next you know, couple hundred thousand records. Yeah. So then now when you, you sort of got this outline of the sort of limitations we've got, moving a really big database to Azure has got to take some time. It does. And it's just a lot, you know, a lot of stuff. The, the stored procedures, views, like all that sort of stuff goes across okay? Yes. Well, uh, yes, they do. Um, the only issues that you would have is that um, if you are using uh, schema collections or right. doing some other kind of stuff or use multi-part names, uh, the Azure wizard will tell you that uh, it um, that's not supported and that will happen if you ignore the warnings and try to put it up there. Uh, SQL Azure will come back and say, hey, I don't support multi-part names and it will, you know, not let let you uh, do it. There, there's some other things that we've noted as well, like uh, a lot of folks in their stored procs will call out to like system stored procedures to to leverage some of those capabilities. And there right. there are certain system stored procs that are not available in SQL Azure as well. Do you run into different kinds of problems with different versions, different older versions of SQL Server? Yes. So here, what you usually end up doing is, for example. Um, uh, if you have a SQL Server, you know, 7 or a SQL Server 2000 database, it's usually wise to go ahead and migrate those to SQL Server 2008 first. And, um, you know, scalability experts, you know, did a joint work with Microsoft and they have a, uh, have a, um, a SQL upgrade assistant tool that basically goes in and helps you go through the migration process in a very methodical manner. And then once you've got your database working uh, up in SQL Server 2008, uh, then you can migrate that, or at least get up to SQL Server 2005 level. Because uh, some of the old uh, uh, deprecated T-SQL functions that you had back in um, uh, SQL Server 2000 that are no longer supported in 2008 will not be supported in SQL Azure either. The other thing that happens with uh, with migrated databases is there's there's certain settings, uh, in you know from version to version that change, and often they get carried forward in migration, uh, or, or in an upgrade they get carried forward. But in migration, when you jump to a different machine, sometimes these are breaking changes, like how nulls are handled, those sorts of things. From especially when you go back to early versions of SQL Server, do you run into that with Azure as well? Um. Since, since we, yeah, well, you would definitely run, uh, run into it. Like, for example, when you refer back to the nulls and how that changed from SQL 7 or whatever when you went to 2000. Has it been, right. has it been that far back? I think it has, yeah. actually. Now I'm good. Mm. I think I'm showing my old age. You are old. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> Note the beginning of the show. Yeah. have any yeah. doubt about that. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, uh, be, uh, because it changed the coding standards and, uh, and some other kind of stuff. So if there would be something like that and you were coming from an older database and functionality changed with 2008, then you would see that up in SQL Azure as well. And that's one reason why it's um, almost pretty good if you're taking a database and you want to go from like 2000 up to Azure is that you actually go through the migration process on an on-premise database first and do all your tests and QA and uh, – 
uh, you know, check it out, uh, how that works. And again, the uh, tool by Scalability Experts says that it goes a long way in helping you migrate and validate that uh, everything works properly. I'm I'm starting to get a picture of, you know, I started off this conversation saying, well, what's the big deal? I'm getting a feel for the big deal now. It sounds like this app you, you built here, George, is like a regex monster that it just, does it lean heavily on regex to figure all this stuff out? It does. It does. And then you have the capability or any customer has the capability to go in and add their own rules. So say, for example, mm. you find a pattern that I missed, or you find a pattern of, uh, I know that uh, some of the guys I've talked to over in uh, like France or Germany who are using it, um, their collation type is not supported. Uh-huh. And of course, when you script out their schemas, every single line has got the collation of whatever they're using. And every single line in a script would then fail because it's not compatible with SQL Azure. Sure. So they can go into... Um, my tool put the regex expression for the collation, and then as they run, it'll strip all that out for them and make it very easy then for them to uh, migrate. I'm just thinking about downloading your app to look at the code and look at how you architected this rules engine because it sounds very cool. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Yeah, the code's out there. Yeah, well, and, and biggest problem complaint I've heard with most folks when they get heavy into regex work like this is performance challenges. Like it's actually hard to get regex to run fast across large sets of strings. Well, actually, I really have been very impressed with the uh, speedx. I've got over twelve hundred something rules. You figure that uh, that uh, when it goes through there, you're pretty, you're pretty much running twelve hundred something rules against against a uh, specific string and i mean it's quick it, it really rocks on one thing to check out though is 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 if you look at the tool i have uh again i've got i don't know about 20 or 30 categories for example you might use chain to change data capture or you might use sql replication or or or, or um security anyway there's like 20 different categories now if you know that you do not do change data capture, or if you know that you do not do SQL replication, you can go into the wizard and say, I don't want you to check this category. So you can uh, go in and say, I only do this category, this category, and this category, and avoid the rest of those checks and actually speed it up even faster because now the engine knows you don't have those, I don't need to check for them, and it would go faster as well. I see. And are you only parsing through the database uh, scripts themselves? Do you look at the code that of an application as well? Well, actually, so um, what happens there is that not all of the T-SQL and other kind of stuff is stored in your database, right? Right. And so what uh, we have set up is that uh, you can run SQL Profiler against your database. Oh, and cool. then you can go through like a test and QA scenario and capture all the T-SQL against that database and save it out to a trace file. Mm. You can then take that trace file, give it to the SQL Azure migration mm. wizard, and it will analyze that trace file looking for any incompatibility issues That's cool. uh, with the T-SQL uh, that would be up against SQL Azure. That's awesome. That's very clever. <laughs> That's very I like clever. that. Yeah. Mm. That's a smart way to go about it. And you just run the trace long enough that you have a good you know, copy of all of the different queries that you're running, and, and then you can find out that Somewhere you hit a query. So rather than trying to even look at my code, you just point to this query and say, this query doesn't work. Go find it. Exactly. So, and you said that you can edit that config file yourself too, right? To add your own 
uh, search and replace terms? Yes, you can. Fantastic. Hey, I just want to give a shout-out real quick to our friends at Data Dynamics who uh, make ActiveReports.net, among other really awesome things. ActiveReports.net is great because uh, it allows you to just build your reports with an easy editor, embed them right in your application, provide PDF and HTML output, give your end users a report editor, royalty-free, of course, a great access report upsizing wizard, and all this for a price that isn't going to break the bank. ActorReports.net from Data Dynamics. Go check it out now at datadynamics.com. Maybe we sort of run this down and, and have we called out the fact this is on CodePlex? I think we've sort of mentioned it in periphery. Yeah, it's SQL so. Azure MW, right? Yes. Yeah. So SQL Azure MW on CodePlex. Mm-hmm. You download the source. Uh, maybe we should run down sort of a best practices list. So if someone's looking at seriously doing this, and I just took a peek on CodePlex here, and it's, you know, several thousand people have downloaded this. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. George, how do you start out? What's the right way to use the tool? How I start out is um, I kind of go in and, and, and identify a database I want to work with, and then I'll just uh, basically the first part, I'll just do a analyze, um, and then I'll analyze it. Because what's nice about the analyze is that you're telling it, don't worry about the data, don't pull the data down, just kind of look at it and see how good it goes. And then um, I can then... Uh, one of the nice things also about the tool is that when it does the analyze, it has a uh, has a, a text box that comes up and says, "Here's all the problems that I found." You'll notice that on every single window that has a text box on it, there's a save button, and I can save that off. And then then I can take uh, the T SQL that's generated, or I can take both the T SQL and the analysis part and save it off. And then I can use something like SQL Server Management Studio or something to go in and edit and look and try to refactor some stuff. And then I take those, that saved T-SQL file and I can reiterate it back through again and run and do some more testing with it. So it's a nice little iterative process that you need to go through. And then, of course, if you go through the analysis wizard and it says, hey, there's, you know, everything's great to go, then you can go back and tell it, okay, I'm ready to migrate my data now and then go through the whole process. First off is look at the scheme of the database. Is the next step then to go to profiler and look at the queries? Yes, you can. Um, I, yeah, I, I, would, I would definitely look at the database first, and then I would go in and do a, uh, a SQL profiler, run it against my machine, and, and analyze that and see if it's going to have any impact on my dynamic SQL that's generated by my code. Because uh, you definitely want to migrate and find out that you got a whole bunch of stuff that you got to go in and change that away. Mm. Have you ever seen a situation where a database just had too many incompatibilities and it was just we just couldn't couldn't migrate it? Well, the only thing that I've seen there again is is things like that use the new features of SQL Server 2008, like file stream, hierarchy ID, geospatial uh, stuff. Oh. Um, that's not supported today. User user defined types aren't supported either, right? Well, actually, no. A very very interesting thing there is that user-defined types were not supported on CTP1. They are supported on CTP2. So I can take a database with user-defined types, and I can actually create the user-defined types, and I can create the tables that use them and put them up there, but I can't get them out. So I can program against them, I can run it, but if you go into SQL Server Management Studio... And if you tell it to generate a um, 
ripped against uh, against that uh, particular database, then it will fail when it hits tables that use the uh, usually find types. As a matter of fact, if you look at the wizard, or not the wizard, but the the uh, explorer, the user defined types do not show up in uh, in the explorer either. Um, so I can create them and I can use them. I just can't um, script them with the SMO uh, capabilities today. That sounds like a bug to me. <laughs> yeah, it does kind of a little bit, but I'm sure that uh, <laughs> they're working on it. One thing to call out real quick, too, is we've talked a lot about going from on-premises SQL Server to SQL Azure. And one of the things George just recently released was support for different scenarios as well. And this is where the UDT story becomes interesting is his tool will now also migrate from SQL Azure back to SQL Server on-premises, as well as SQL Azure to SQL Azure. And a lot of this came through requests from the CodePlex site where users, for instance, had used the one gigabyte database size with SQL Azure, and then realized they needed the 10 gigabyte size and needed to find ways to migrate their database from within SQL Azure to another database within SQL Azure mm. and so forth. So it's, it's, it's some additional interesting scenarios that are supported by the, by the wizard. Huh. And again, I got to say, that ought to be built in, right? If that mm-hmm. I have a one gigabyte SQL Azure database, say, can I make that a 10, please? And they just switch it and I have more room. But it doesn't work like that. Not today, anyway. Hmm. I'm sure they will be addre- addressing that. So, Well, because now you have to stream your gigabyte of data out of the one and into mm-hmm. the 10. So you mm-hmm. pay it on both sides. What Did we talk about extended store procedures? Um, CLR? CLR code. Yeah, that's in the store procedures are not supported either. So okay. if you have a lot of that, uh, of those cases, then um, you would not be able to use those today in SQL Azure. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think of the workaround for that. I mean, Azure is essentially a, you know, a, a way to host code in the cloud, and you could still move the code to the cloud, just not in the database. Yeah. Well, mo- I haven't seen an awful lot of SQL CLR cases, but where yeah, I've I really seen them, it's either. It's massive amounts of data with very complex calculations together, mm. and they need to be as close as possible to be fast. Hmm. Right. And that's a, that's a pretty rare case. Like, I don't know that Azure would actually be incented to support it. And I think if you even if you broke it up and run in that, that com- computational part on the Azure worker space right, against wouldn't. SQL Azure, you'd still take a big performance hit. It would. You would. Yeah. yeah, that's an interesting problem. Uh, did we get a little off track on the best practices thing here we got as far as uh <laughs> analyze the, the schema i mean i'm enjoying this so you know forgive me analyze the schema analyze the profiler then is it just run it and it works everything is good so it's, Unless it's it analyze doesn't. it and <laughs> then once you're um once it goes by all the rules uh i'm um then you basically tell it hey let's go ahead and uh, and do the migration so then when you go to the second part the wizard will say well, point me to your SQL Azure uh, instance, and you enter in your credentials, and then it'll list all the databases. If you don't have a database, you can say create database inside the tool, and the tool will prompt you up and say, okay, give me the name and tell me if you want a 1 gigabyte or 10 gigabyte database, and you tell them that, and then they'll create it, and then when you're ready, you say run, and it'll take all that SQL uh, for your tables, your store procs, your views, your UDTs, your UDFs, and and views and stuff, and we'll run all that up against SQL Azure. And then 
what will happen is it'll tell you, I'm creating this table, I'm creating this table, or actually it'll set success, 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 it'll all be nice and green. If it tries to run a command up against SQL Azure that fails, it will come back in bright red saying, this command failed, and here's the command. And so you know it failed, and you know exactly what failed because it's passing you back that, that script uh, for that one specific section. So it makes it really easy then for you to look at it and go, oh, I see why. I got something over here I need to modify. And then you can basically go back and start over again and say, all right, let's drop this database, create a new database, and I make my changes and run it, you know, do your iterative cycles. And then also, if you notice something that's missing, you know, that, hey, this fails because it's not compatible and the tool misses it, then you go into the config file, put in the new regex, look for that particular area, and then you'll have it the next time you do your test. And then, like I said, this now becomes this iterative process as you find each one and, and go again and go again until you get them all. Right. And, and, and again, usually what you're going to have is, is that uh, um, once you get that, that error identified and you stick it into the config file, um, you really shouldn't have that many, you know, that many errors that are going to be missed. Right. And so the iterative process really is going to be um, going through the analysis part over and over and over again and fixing stuff and then going on and going back in to make sure that you fixed everything that you thought you fixed. Right. But in, and once you get this all tuned up, is there a, there's a separate file now for the configuration of that transfer that you can keep for future use and separate from other transfers? Well, since it's all in a, uh, a, in a not supported by Azure config file, you can have a dozen of those files. And so right. when you have uh, something that you want to run with your, with your international database, it's got the collation stuff, you know, ch uh, checked in out of it, you can copy that config file over. Um, I've tried to put as much stuff in. There's two config files. One config file is the uh, app.config, and it has things like, uh, you know, your target server and your source server and what kind of chunking that you want to do with BCP and, you know, uh, do these checks but don't do these checks kind of concept. And then the uh, other config file, which is you're not supported in Azure um, file, it has the regex in it. So I've got the regex file, then I got my options file, basic is what you have. And so you can you can have as many different ones of those as you want, and you just swap them in and out and run against the tool. Awesome. Well, I, I think I got my head around this tool now. Yeah. I'm pretty excited to take it out for a spin. Uh, guys, are there some stories you could tell about projects that you've done this with? Uh, any other do's and don'ts we might miss? Wade? Well, um, so I alluded to, to one. Um, so we did some work with, uh, with Accenture on moving their database, and it was a, a pretty simple database, and we didn't run into that many issues. Um, George, I think you actually have a, a more interesting story. We hosted a set of um, Windows Azure platform migration labs here in Chicago, invited some customers in, and uh, we had one customer, uh, the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, that actually just wanted to migrate their database up into the cloud. They uh, used a WinForm application um, that targeted a non-premises SQL server. And uh, they didn't want to actually move their app up into the cloud, but just that database component. And I know George worked with them pretty extensively throughout the day. George, what, you guys spent a lot of time actually working on the login aspects of things too, right? Yeah, so there was a, a couple things that we, you know, did during the process is um, 
we looked at the security issue. Of course, if you used your NT authentication stuff, it wouldn't work up in Azure. So we worked on just setting up role-based uh, kind of scenarios where you logged in with a uh, username, and that worked just fine. And then uh, we had ran into the issue of having hundreds of thousands of records going up and then having Azure eventually time out, and that's where we started putting chunking and other kind of stuff into uh, into the tool. But once we got the chunking stuff set up and we got the security part of it figured out, we were able to take their database, uh, migrate up to SQL Azure, and then um, we changed, changed the connection string on the uh, uh, smart client app, and it ran just fine up against the cloud. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I've noticed is while there certainly are some challenges in the, the migration process initially, I've yet to really come across a scenario where the app that's been updated with, you know, the connection string change pointing to SQL Azure, I haven't really noticed any issues there. You know, most of these apps, applications don't have a lot of long-running transactions or, you know, things that can be challenged by that five-minute connection timeout. Um, so for the most part, with regards to the application, since, you know, you're still using ADO.net to communicate to SQL Azure, it's all... TDS under the covers, you know, tabular data streams protocol, um, there's really very little to change from the app side in terms of, you know, getting it to work with SQL Azure. Yeah. It's, been, it's been pretty smooth. In, in one week time frame, we ran through, I don't know, about eight different customers going, uh, going through the migration and migrating um, the uh, ASP.NET apps and the, Win, uh, the uh, databases uh, we were successful 100% in getting everybody up and running up in the up in the cloud. Um, it, you know, the uh, biggest issue again was just getting the initial data loaded upstream uh, into the database. And once we got the chunking stuff figured out, even that wasn't a problem anymore. Yeah, what's what's interesting that, that when when it comes to app migration up into the cloud, um, SQL Azure has always been at least from my experience with the customers I've worked with, one of the easier pieces, um, mm-hmm. especially using the migration wizard. I mean, prior to that, it was just a very time-consuming process. Um, you know, there are, there are other potential challenges when moving your apps into the cloud, you know, how you deal with application integration and, you know, how you deal with different forms of identity and so forth, and there are solutions for it. But really, in my experience, um, SQL Azure has been, been a pretty smooth process. Yeah, it has. Well, thanks a lot for coming on the show and telling us about this great tool, and I hope uh, I hope you get some more downloads. It was our pleasure. Fantastic. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a 